James chapter 5. Are you tired of that yet? No? I was afraid somebody said, ah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will tell you this, that I believe we will be done by the end of this month with James chapter 5. Then we're going to start a longer book. No, we're, we're just, we've got some great ideas coming your way. But uh, James chapter 5, we're down to verse number 19. And we're starting to put things together. Applicational section here in verse 19 and verse 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Wow. Aren't you interested in knowing what that's all about? We're going to do that. Heavenly Father, we start this morning, though, as we open up your word, talking to you, the one who has given it to us in the first place, that we might know your heart, your will. We would know your instruction. We would know your intentions and even what you think of us. You have expressed it so well all the way through here that we just need to open this book and start to read. And we are in the presence of our Father who's teaching us these things and the work of the Holy Spirit within us to make them applicable, to show us what we are to do and how we are to do it and, and fulfill what our Father would have. Lord, there's so much here. There's so much in this book to learn. So we take it a bite at a time, a verse at a time, a thought at a time, but you have been so faithful in ministering in our lives to help us understand and to learn to live what we have read here. And I pray that today will be no exception to that because your word is powerful and it does accomplish what you set out for it to do. And as you've sent it our way today, we pray that it does exactly that and makes us more like our Savior and helps us to understand you better and serve you more. So we give our time, our attention to this part of our service purposefully that we might study from your word and to know you better. So help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, James chapter 5, verse number 19. Last time we were together, I spent my sermon on two words, my brethren. Today I'm going to deal with one word. It's the next word, if. All right, you say that's kind of fun, isn't it? You say, he's going to really make it through the rest of this passage? Uh, I do want to do this. I do want to do this, and it's not that I'm trying to be clever or creative or anything like that. There is something here that is quite powerful and useful to us. So many times in Bible study, we look at the big words and the big concepts and the big thoughts, and obviously verse 19 and 20 have some pretty big, heavy-duty things coming our way. But it's the couple of words that go before it that sets the table for it and says, this is why this is important to you. All right? And that's why I, I do want to spend a little time on the little words so that we can grasp the bigger part much easier, much better, I think. And it would come together well. Um, that little word, if, is powerful. And I don't want to miss it today. 
and we're going to talk about it, but we're going to keep it in its context and work through this passage well. Because as we deal with this section, verse 19 and 20, we have to put first things first. Who is James addressing in verse 19? The brethren, right? We talked about this last week. It wasn't just the elders. It wasn't just the pastor. It wasn't, uh, you know, a special elite spiritual group of sorts. He's talking to the church. Brothers. Brothers. And there's a concern here. As you see, just glancing through 19 and 20, concern for a sinful brother or sister. It's a concern for the whole body. Not just an individual in the body, but a maturing body should be concerned about this other brother or sister. As I said last week, my brethren is a phrase that brings us all into the application. We're all right here at the beginning of this verse. We're supposed to be. And what we owe to one another is our own spiritual maturity. We owe that to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. It's very important that we understand this. The calling for you as a believer is to be mature in Christ. That is your spiritual calling, to be mature in Christ. Just glance over to Second Peter for a minute, just a couple of books away, chapter 3. I'm going to use this verse a lot when I speak to you. I have over the last uh, eight years brought it up many, many, many times. I'm going to keep going with that. If you ask me to, to sign a book or a Christmas card or something, guess what verse you're going to get? 2 Peter 3.18 is going to be there over and over and over again. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow. Oxano is the Greek word. It means to grow greater. To increase. We get our English word augment from it. To augment something is to make something greater by adding to it. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, we need to learn of His grace and then learn more of His grace and then learn more of His grace because that's growing in it. And we are to learn of Him, our knowledge of Him. And when we Learn some, we need to learn some more. And we keep learning in our knowledge of Him as well. These things are very important. Matter of fact, they're commanded. This passage is what we call a present active imperative. I love saying that. Present because it is something you are to be doing right now. And ongoing, always, 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 by God's command, growing. You're not to stop. That's our duty as believers. That's our calling as believers, to be maturing. And why do we do that? Primarily, the second half of that verse is because it gives Him glory. And you want that, don't you? 
To Him be the glory. Don't you want that to be part of your story? That He gets the glory. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. I suggest to you real simple. That is your calling. To spiritually mature in Christ. That's what we're called to do. Now when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he couldn't say such things like that. He wanted to encourage them to keep on growing. But he had a problem with the Corinthian church. They were so full of sinful issues that Paul had no one mature there to help them. And it frustrated Paul. Because when he wrote to them, he said in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 1 through 3, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as mature men, but as to men of flesh, as infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, you are still not able to receive it, for you are still fleshly. That's a sad indictment on a church, isn't it? Now, there you have it, folks. There are two options for us as a church body. We are to be growing, maturing in Christ, or we stay infants and immature and become useless to serving each other's needs. You want a choice to make? There are the two. Because Peter would even say, if you're not growing, you're falling back. You're in danger. You're in danger. That's your calling in Christ Jesus. For every single one of us in this room, in Christ, we are to be maturing. If you're a believer in Christ, that's what you're to be doing. Maturing in Christ. It ought to be a motivating factor for all of us. When we read these things, it ought to be driving us with a passion for this church to grow spiritually, maturing each and every one of us. And folks, you know what? That's just not your calling. That's your destiny. That's your destiny. Say, how do you know? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, it says so in verse 2 and 3. He says, Beloved, now we are children of God. I like that, don't you? We are children of God. And he says, And it's not yet appeared what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him. There are no maybes in that verse. There are no hope so's in that verse. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And what it goes to add to that is simply simple. Everyone who has this hope, and I hope you do, fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. That's our destiny. Now, if we're going to become that, and if we're commanded to become that, what should we be doing? Is that pretty easy to answer? Maturing spiritually. That is our calling. That is our destiny. So I'm not going to compound the argument anymore. I think it's pretty clear. You know very well, spiritual maturity is necessary for you and for me. I've yet to meet somebody who's willing to say that's not true. I've never had somebody say, nope, that's not what God calls me to be. I have met people who don't care. I've met people who are indifferent to it. I've met people who are consumed with other things. I've met people who are satisfied with whatever spiritual growth they have, or maybe lack of it. 
they're satisfied with where they are, and they're they're not going forward. And pushing them is like pushing a car with its gearshift still in park. Man, it's tough. It's tough. I would pray honestly that I just hadn't described you in the last paragraph. If that's true, that may the Lord reveal that to your heart. Because spiritual maturity is something we owe to one another. That's not something just for me to grow to be like Christ. It's for you that I grow to be like Christ. And it's for you to grow like Christ for me. It's a ministry we have to one another. And let me tell you, as I started last week, that will make a difference. You make a difference in this church. Especially as you're maturing in Christ. You make a difference. And that's what we need. Never underestimate your value in this church body. We all have something we are to be doing. And that's what's set before us here in James chapter 5. The application is, my brethren. That means all of us, ready and able and mature to be able to answer what's in the rest of these verses. Okay? You got that so far? That's the first two words we learned. That's where we left off last week. So I'll set before you the problem, and then I'll go to that word if and show you what happens. All right? Here's the problem. James chapter 5, 19, 20 in this whole context. There's sin, perhaps, in this church. We know it's a problem if it does exist. Anytime it does. Sin in a believer, that's a definite problem. Wouldn't you agree? Okay. Do you know that immaturity breeds immaturity? It's a contagious thing. It's terrible. You say, okay, there's some things you don't want to go around because somebody has that. Somebody has the flu. Oh, don't, don't come to church, folks, if you got the flu. All right? Because everybody else will have it next week. You'll be the only one here. We know that spreads. Immaturity spreads. Immaturity is a recipe for more immaturity. Because it, it just runs that way. Here's a picture. Put two people down a, in a pit and see which one could help the other out. What would you rather have? Somebody on the top who pulls them out. There's our picture. Whenever the issue of sin pops up, that's a curiosity in the church. You know? Whenever there's an issue, somebody's having a problem. And it spreads. You know, some churches it spreads very quickly. We call that what? Gossip. And somebody has a problem in a church. It spreads so quickly. spreads so easily. We have to be careful. That's part of our issue. Being careful to deal with people in issues of sin. Because if there's immaturity in the church, believe it or not, to describe somebody's, you know, walk through the, the whole discipline process, you know, and you bring them up before the church. What is the goal of that? Restoration. So that we can pray together and minister together for the sake of that brother or sister in Christ, right? But for the immature, what is it? It's news. So you can spread it. So you can share it. It's a very difficult little road to walk through. 
because things like church discipline is supposed to be saturated with prayer. It's supposed to be met with a single goal. And that goal is the maturity of that sinful brother and the maturity of the body as a whole. And that since it's a spiritual thing, it calls for spiritual people. And that calls for spiritual maturity because of the kind of topic it is. I've said this again and again, but my I've just got to say it. There is no greater gift you can give to this church than to be maturing in Christ. That's what you can give to this church. So that on the day that we have to call on my brethren to pray, to desire strongly the welfare of a weak brother or a sister, where there's a need for assistance to turn them around from where they are, and that they may become more like Christ. On that day when it calls for help are sounded, may we find a body of believers ready and able to minister to that need. That's James 5, 19 and 20. That's what it's saying. So the single focus is, may we all be like Christ. My brethren. Let's establish that in our minds. We're brothers. We're to perk up whenever we read these words. My brethren. And say, okay, this is for me. This is, this is about me. This is something I need to do. Now, I'll, I'll just tell you straight out, this to these two verses, the focus is not technically on the brother who sins. It's on my brothers. That's who he's talking to. Alright? That's important. So it is about us. Now, I told you before, I'm not planning to go one word at a time the rest of the way through. But I am going to go with one word. If. If. You probably have heard pastors go very eloquent on the word if. There are two Greek expressions translated if in the English language. It's kind of an interesting thing. There is what they call the if of reality. The if of reality. That one I like very much. Just give you a touch of Greek grammar. Don't turn off your minds right now. All right, this is fun stuff. I like it. All right? So at least like it with me. Okay? There are what they call four conditional sentences in Greek grammar. They're called conditional. Okay? Four types of sentences that are conditional in nature. And they label them, which is real technical. First class, second class. Third class, fourth class. They're conditional sentences. All right? Now, we're not going to deal with all four today, but two of them especially. The first one is called first. See how easy this is? You guys can learn this. First class. First class conditional Greek sentences. This is the condition of fact. That's why I like F there. First fact. They go together. Easier for me to remember. They are the conditions of fact. And we translate it if so many times in our translations. But the better word is since. Because it's dealing with reality. Not potentials or possibilities. It's reality. So the word since is a 
stronger term in my book as to the reality of the situation. It's a great word for theology. Wonderful word if we're going through a passage on doctrine. And it's talking about the ramifications of what Christ has done for us. And so many times we see the word if, we say, ooh, what just happened? It's like somebody popped the bubble. We were on some great theological term and suddenly there's an if there. And you say, what, does that mean it's maybe not? Well, that's not what it means. Since. And many times people like Paul would say, since this is true, there's your therefore coming. It's a powerful expression. It's a, it's a wonderful expression. I like that. I'm not going to take you to all kinds of passages that show it. But I tell you this. If you ever look it up in your concordance and you say, what is that little Greek word he's talking about? It's spelled this way. E-I. Is that easy? I. Is that, you see that word? You say, oh, that's that first class conditional Greek sentence word that talks about reality. I'll translate it since. Let me read to you one of my favorite passages that have it in it. Philippians 2, 1 and 2. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, now it goes on to say, make my joy complete, being of the same mind, right? We read this and say, if, is there encouragement in Christ? Yes. Is there consolation in love? Yes. Is there fellowship of the Spirit? Okay. Is there affection and compassion? Yes. Do you know all of those ifs are spelled E-I? And if that's a condition of reality, let me read it to you if you were hearing it from the first time from the Greek. Therefore, since there is encouragement in Christ, since there is consolation of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and compassion, now watch the punch, then make my joy complete. You don't have to go and brew up all those other things to make this next thing work. They're already there. Isn't that great? I love a passage like that. Pastors love these things. Right? You read this and you say, wow, this is why we do it. Because these things are reality. These things we have. That's how that word is used. It really, when it comes down to this, it always talks to, what is your purpose now, in light of reality? What is your purpose? And every single time it rips all the excuses out of the person who says, but that's not for me. Oh, yes, it is. And that's the power it has. I love it. I love it. It, it's, it. Matter of fact, how can somebody say there shouldn't be unity in the church and we shouldn't expect that after you've just read that verse? <laughs> we know it's possible. We know, matter of fact, it's expected because of the reality of what God has done for us in the first place. Okay, that's your first if. First class, conditional uh, statement. It is a statement of reality. It's best described as sense. Now, I told you there was another one. If, that I just described to you, is not the word James uses. Alright? That's important for you. Because if, that was the word in verse number 19, my brother, 
since there is among you one who strayed from the truth. That means that problem is right there. It's time to do something. Alright? It would be calling for an immediate response because that big problem is here now. That should make us respond. Because that problem is here now. Now, I think it could be, if he chose to do that, we'd have a whole different kind of sermon today. The other day, Pamela and I were at Staples. We're buying some supplies, their office supplies and things. And there we were at the checkout counter. The fire alarm went off. The lights and the sound and, and all that. And you know what was really weird? Because once I started, I looked up, because I always look up for smoke. And the whole ceiling is rippling. And the lights are doing this thing. And I'm thinking, what is going on here? And you know that cashier just kept on going. And I'm thinking, shouldn't we get out of here? What does that mean? Beep, 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 lights flashing, ceiling rippling. What does that tell you to do? I would think so. And I'm looking at that and nobody's moving. Shouldn't we respond to an alarm? I think so. He said, oh, they're just working on the system. That didn't explain the ceiling thing to me. All right? They said, we're working on the situation. All right. Alarms are set up for a potential, and we hope they never have to be used, but a potential that when lights are flashing and alarms are wailing and ceilings are rippling, that we need to do something. The folks that sit over at that side of the church are right underneath that screaming little red box. And boy, is it loud. You want to hear it? No, we won't do it. That thing will make you deaf if you're right underneath it, just so you know. Pre-warning. Right. But that's an incredible little alarm system. It's gone off in this church before. And it's not because of fires. But we thought there might have been. When it's going off and the whole building's blinking and that siren screaming and we're running through the church to see, what's wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong? You wouldn't believe it. The little pool box by the church office door fell out of the wall and it's dangling on a cord and it, when it fell out of the wall it set off the alarm. And we're running all over the place looking for the problem. And it's just this little dangling cord. Fire department came too. That just tells me something. When the alarms go off, that says, do something. If James had written, if, in the word we just studied, that's the alarm going off. That would have said, do something. There's somebody in your midst straying from the truth. Do something. Do it now. Jude wrote that way. You ever read the book of Jude? He had alarms going off all over the place. Peter did that in the second Peter. Paul wrote that way. John the Apostle wrote that way when he wrote some of his epistles. It's the church's proper concern to react when the alarm goes off. All right? Now, if that was our message, then James would have said, since. And I gave you all that to show you that he did not write since. And there's a reason for it. He used the other if. Again, there were four, 
But now we're going to jump to number three. Okay? You say, well, what's wrong with number two? Number two is just the negation of number one. If not. Alright? That's how simple that is. So number three, number three is the potential if. This is the one that really, really matches our classic English if word. If. The potential. It's possible, yes. Maybe it's even likely, yes. But it's not reality at the moment, if. Now, it almost sounds like it's a step down from an emergency, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, well, this is better. It's just the if. I've got, I've got the alarms and they're not going off. So, I guess we're okay, right? You might feel relief knowing that. But that's not really the case. This does not mean let your guard down. This does not mean that we become inactive. Matter of fact, his choice of this word does even more to motivate us as a body of Christ. Let me show you how. Just a couple of thoughts. It's not that we need to respond immediately to the need, but it does call us to be prepared. Because there's a potential, you see. There's a potential that we may have a brother or sister in trouble. The potential does exist. I'm sorry to say that. It's going to exist until Christ comes for us. The potential is always there. And the potential, the potential in this calls us, my brethren, to be prepared. This whole context is talking about potential issues, by the way. Remember, as he's talking you through this text, we're using the concept of living faith, what it, what it looks like. We're examining what it looks like. And sometimes under pressure, persecution in this context, remember, we're told to be patient, be patient, right? Strengthen our heart. Don't complain. Is there any potential there of us not doing that? Unfortunately, yes. And he talks about the importance of prayer. And there is a potential there that we might not come up to what we're called to do and not pray. And it's possible under this kind of pressure that the brother or sister in Christ may not do too well. And they may get weak. And they may get tired. And they may get exhausted. And James calls them strengthless in the passage. They're, they're likely to make bad choices. They're likely to have sinful actions. They're likely to speak sinful words. They're likely to have sinful attitudes. And sometimes it even affects them physically. And that's all in this context we've been studying. They may be physically ill because of the strain. And they don't need to be alone in this. In verse number 14, it says, Call for the elders. Call for the elders so that they can see that your physical needs are met. That's the oil. And your spiritual needs are met. And that's the prayer. Call for them. You're in need. See, we have a duty to each other. And our goal is to mature in the fullness of Christ. And His image. And the point is this. We are not alone in this quest. When our brother is hurting, that should cause us to be concerned. If that happens, are we ready to help them? 
if they're struggling and they need to mature in Christ, have I matured sufficiently to be there for them? You see what I'm saying? Because your maturity level is not just for you, it's for the others. Nothing might be harder than restoring a brother or sister in a spiritual thing. (laughs) That's a tough thing. But it cannot be done without faith. And it certainly cannot be done without prayer. Because the matter is spiritual in nature. The Lord said, "You, you can't do it apart from me. So I make that point. And I come to it every single time. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we owe to each other a maturity goal. Goal of becoming like Christ. We owe that to one another. Because when they are in need, you are there to minister to that need. You are there. I become like Christ for your sake. You become like Christ for my sake. And we strive together for that goal. And no one is to be left out. What that means is simply this. When the potential is there, and it's always there, for a brother or sister to be caught up in sin, we who are spiritual better be ready to mature, mature, maturely minister to them. You say, but James, how do I know James really means that? Well, I could go to passage after passage and show you in other places. That's exactly what the apostles were teaching. You ever look closely at Galatians chapter 6? You know what the very first verse of Galatians 6 says? Oh, you've got to see it. It's right there. It's beautiful. You've got you to look at this passage with me for a second. Galatians 6. It probably was written by James. I'm teasing. Paul wrote this. But it's exactly what James just said. He says this, Galatians 6.1. Brethren, who's that? Us. Even if, guess what? Potential. Anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Who goes to help them? The brothers. And they better be spiritual. Or else guess what they're going to end up being? Caught in the same trap. You see, we do it for our protection, but we do it for our brothers. You who are spiritual. When that's said, you don't say, oh, that's the pastor. No, that's the elders. No, that's my Sunday school teacher. When you see that phrase, you who are spiritual, he's saying, that's who you're supposed to be. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. We have a duty to that effect. My brethren, all of us are called to that. If you are not mature, then you are not prepared. If you are not prepared, then your brother has no help in his time of need. And that is a sad statement about a church. I hope that we would not be inadequate in spiritual things. But you know where all that lies? It all lies in our own spiritual maturity. We can't point the finger at anybody else but ourselves. That's a ramification of a word if that James would use in this passage that says, you better be prepared. 
What else does it say? I'll give you one more thing. This if in the passage of James 5.19 has another statement as well. When it does come to anyone straying from the truth. Ready for this? It doesn't have to be that way. It's spoken of a potential, which means it may be potential that could happen, but folks, it doesn't have to happen. It doesn't have to happen that somebody strays from the truth. It doesn't have to happen that somebody gets caught up in these sins. We live in a generation where sin is excused. Right? It's excused all around us. It's things like, I can't help it. It's a genetic thing. Yes, I'm afraid we can say that's true too. Thank you, Adam. Right? It's a genetic thing. It's a medical condition. It's to be expected. There was an interesting thing. If you follow the news, and maybe you don't like the news anymore. I'm not sure I like it either. I don't know why I turned it on. I guess I want to depress myself before the day starts. Um, so I, I pulled up the news just this past week, and it talks about a um, young woman who buried her newborn child in the backyard. And it was reported in there that her defense, made by a psychologist, went something like this. He described this person as a vulnerable, immature person whose dependent personality disorder make her want to please authority figures and her desire to please her family and her boyfriend and fear of them abandoning her motivated her to commit extreme acts. And I read through that and I said, whoa, go back to the first statement. They said, immaturity. Ooh. You know what? That was their defense. Immaturity. We can't expect anything of somebody immature, can we? I mean, if they're immature, that's great. Then they're not accountable, right? Do you know she got off on the crimes? She had one held against her, but it wasn't for killing the baby or burying it or anything of that nature. I'm not here to try a case with you, simply to reveal that there are things like this that are used as exceptions. The issue of sin is transferred in so many different ways to so many other places that man is no longer accountable for it. The easiest thing to do is to come up with a good excuse. The fact is, sin is not necessary for a believer. Now this is going to start to sound a little funny, but this is what John wrote. John said this in 1 John chapter 3, or chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. There's that potential. Given the choice of doing right and doing wrong, because the Spirit indwells you, because you're striving to be like Christ, guess what you should do? You should do what's right. That means you avoided doing what's wrong. You see, as we mature, we come to that fork and we choose the right way every single time, or we should, because we're seeking to be like Christ. That's not saying, well, oh, I sinned, you know, I couldn't help it, it wasn't anything I did, it's somebody else's fault. 
the passage that's if before us lays before you a potential situation that a brother or sister may sin, may err from the truth. It doesn't have to be that way. It wouldn't even have to be addressed if the whole body was maturing like they should, because that danger disappears, doesn't it? Because they're going to be more like Christ, they're certainly not going to be enticed by these other things. I'm not saying, and he never said in Scripture, that we might become sinless. That day is coming when we step into glory. In the meantime, we have a sin nature, we know that. But that's not our excuse. We don't fall back on it as a default mechanism to say, hey, that's why I sinned. That was dealt with at the cross, don't you know? It was dealt with at the cross. Romans 6 is a chapter I think everybody had to memorize as a believer in Christ. I can't enforce that, but I'd love to. It talks about your position in Christ. You have died to sin. You were buried with Christ. You rose so that you may walk in newness of life. That's what you're called to be. You see, there's a potential, yes, for sin. But that shouldn't be the thing the believer is aiming for. I'm not looking for a way out of walking with Christ. I'm looking for a closer walk with Him. Straying from the truth is a sign that we're not growing in the truth. Do you know that? It's a sign of immaturity. It wasn't genetics. It wasn't circumstances. It wasn't even the weather. What was it? It was a lack of growth in spiritual things that produced a falling. Peter says we have to be on our guard so that we are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from our own steadfastness. Paul says we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. You see, we don't need to be immature and we don't need to be sinning. We don't need to be sinning. Those are potentials in this passage right here in verse 19 and 20. The whole thing is a potential scenario to say two things. Number one, brothers be ready. Because the potential is there and immature people are going to fall into it. Alright? So we have a job to be prepared to help them. Number two, the potential is there for somebody to fall into that trap. But that doesn't have to be the case. Help them mature so they don't. If we dug a giant hole in the middle of this floor and filled it with rattlesnakes, there's a potential you could fall into it, right? But what if we teach you it's not a good idea? You say, well, why don't you just get rid of the rattlesnakes? (laughs) There's your picture. In our world, there's a potential for sin, right? Oh, it's big. Our job is to say, keep away from that hole. Keep away from that hole. Because you don't have to fall into it. Because you know the truth. There's our job. There's our job. You say, well, the potential doesn't lie so much with the brother as much as it lies with me. I have a job, not only to be prepared, but I have a job to warn you. To help you. To keep you from that spot. Because these potentials can get very scary when they're followed through. We don't need immaturity among us, you see. It doesn't have to be that way. 
Our, our guard is to be spiritually mature. Our preparations are to be spiritually mature. We have to be growing so that we can assist those who need it. That's a big if. Do you see it now? That's what's sitting right in front of you. The question is, are we going to be ready? Are we going to be ready, spiritually ready, the day our brother or sister may need us? That's our context. Next week we're going to dig into the the depths of it, all right? That's our little word, if. Heavenly Father, there's so much for us to learn. So much here for us to learn. And it does come right back at us. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to be growing to be like our Savior. Lord, there's no excuse for us not to. And there's certainly no excuse for us to walk some other direction. But in all these things, Lord, we have a ministry to one another that's vital. Vital in our day and age especially. And I pray that you might impress upon us the seriousness of such a passage. That we would look to ourselves to see that we're mature. And then look to our brothers to see how we can help. To, to warn them if case may be. To help them if they've fallen in. May we be prepared, Lord, for we need to be prepared. And may that be the concern of our heart today after reading a passage like this. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your word, for helping us to grasp it. Even when it is big like this, and it calls for serious and and really intentional and intense application of a passage. We thank you, Lord, for giving us this to us, because we need it. We all need that. And we thank you, Lord, for giving it. In Jesus' name, amen.